This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. We got a full house in here as we are now just, if you're listening to this, about a week away from football. We're recording this on Wednesday, August the 24th. We got Bryce Turner with us in the house. We got Andrew Glukoff in the house. We've got the student of the game, Kyle Nash, in the house. And we've got a lot to talk about, folks, because the season is underway. Uh, we obviously talking about uh, 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 women's soccer's uh, opener. Well, the, uh, they opened the season last week with the 3 nothing victory over Florida. Uh, they drew LSU. We've got uh, later on in the show, Scott Calabrese, head coach of UCF men's soccer, joining us to preview his team as they open up play um, this week with a trip up to number 15, Wake Forest, and a totally revamped American. Lots to talk about with Scott. Um, but we begin, and the reason why we have the full house in here is because of is because that UCF football is in full preparation mode now for the start of the season with the announcement that John Rice Plumley will be UCF's starting quarterback on Thursday night, September the 1st, when the Knights take on South Carolina State. Plumley beat out Mikey Keene, and, well, Jason Beatty said he beat out Mikey Keene and Tommy Castellanos. So I, I, he really beat out Mikey Keene. I think Tommy's, you know, the idea with since Tommy's the future, they're trying to redshirt him. But uh, the transfer from Ole Miss comes in and uh, wins the job. Took a little bit of time, but we're actually ready to go. So we got the full crew in here to talk about it. And I want to start with our uh, the guy. Well, you, Kyle and Drew are going to be covering football for us uh, in the press box and have been following things the most closely. So, uh, Drew, I want to start with you. Um, your reaction to the move? and what this means for UCF. Well, I, I'm not surprised. I really am not. And, and don't take that as a slight against Mikey Keene. Take it slighted against the situation. You, know, you have uh, an offensive line that has depth issues, that is a little suspect. So this is going to be a run-heavy team. It's easier to have the explosiveness uh, of a running game when you have a guy like Isaiah Bowser. When you have a speed guy that can go off tackle or outside like a Johnny Richardson. And now you have a third running back in John Rice Plumley. Uh, so this is going to be a very run heavy team. And they're going to use the run to open up the pass you know, because Plumley can tuck it and run at any time, you know, like Cam Newton did, like Nick Marshall did. You know, it's it's historically fits the mold that Gus Melzon likes. You know, Mikey Keene wasn't a Melzon guy. He was, he, he was already on his way in when, when Malzahn came in, uh, you know, Plumley, while not recruited as a high schooler uh, into Auburn fits the mold of an Auburn quarterback in the Malzahn system. Uh, check that he was recruited by Gus well, no, no, Malzahn but, at Auburn. Let me phrase that. He didn't enroll there. He, he didn't right, enroll there. Right. Uh, yes. He was recruited. He didn't commit there. That's what I meant to say. Uh, but he, he fits the mold uh, of a Malzahn quarterback. So it doesn't surprise me there, but with the, with the you know question marks surrounding the offensive line, uh, by having a guy who could tuck the ball and run for his life and run really fast doing it, uh, really helps in the passing game too because things 
as even with a good offensive line, things break down. It just happens, you know. Uh, but when you have a guy that has that extra ability uh, that forces a linebacker to stay in the box and, and leave the defensive uh, backs out on their own or even have a spy have to dedicate himself to now you 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 compromise the defense they they you have to they have to adjust they've got less guys protecting in the defensive backfield that opens up the pass game and well you know yeah his freshman stats on the passing weren't great he was also a freshman uh let's take that part with a with a little bit of a grain of salt i want to see more but you know we obviously don't see what's done in practice uh, but if he has even 57 58 60 percent accuracy uh on the year uh that's going to work out well for him against a defensive backfield that's going to be left on an island yeah i saw uh i forget who, who has said this on twitter um they said that if you, you know if, if if gus malzahn could go into a laboratory and concoct the ideal quarterback for his offense John Rice Plumley is the guy who would walk out. Kyle, you're shaking your head. Yeah, I am. That's a little bit too much. We need. We need to listen. We need to stop. I love the visual, though. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> it's oh no. And listen, I'm sure that 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 Gus would look great in a lab coat. He's got the glasses for it already. You know, it'd be fantastic. I mean, he taught in high school. He needs you know, more I mean, ratty hair, you know. though. He needs to look a little more crazy. Hey, in fairness, he normally has a hat on after practices. It could get pretty ratty to make the part happen. And, you know, all I got to do is to say great Scott instead of his hair being on fire. But anyways, no, man, listen, there's a lot of stuff you said in the later part of your spiel that is spot on. And I'm not, I'm not arguing with you per se, but the one thing I think that's being made entirely too much of the, oh, he fits in Gus's system. First of all, if he's really in a lab building a quarterback, he'd come out with a bigger guy. Cam Newton is that Cam guy. Cam Newton's a good name to bring up. Yeah, yeah Cam Newton's that guy. John Rice isn't a perfect fit, but he is fitable if you're looking for that kind of mold. But keep in mind, too, I actually, uh, I actually asked – uh, Coach Malzahn about his feelings uh, about mobile quarterbacks being kind of an essential element in football, not just in college, but all levels in the NFL as well. Top quarterbacks there of the recent era. No, I'm not counting Tom Brady, who was drafted 20 freaking years ago. Okay. Um, are all have an element of mobility. I think that's the day in life we live in with football. But what uh, Coach Malzahn said is that assumption isn't perfect. You build your team around the strengths of the quarterback. It's it, in this case the way it works out. I'm I'm with you though on this part, Drew. Plumley was picked for a wider skill set to overcome a defensive line that, or excuse me, offensive line whose depth isn't very great, who has a large running back core that is very talented, and don't forget Jordan McDonald in there as a threat to both block for a Plumley or carry the ball himself to bash people in probably worth mention there as well, too. Um, but th I think the biggest reason why uh, Plumley was fit wasn't necessarily that he's the better quarterback. I don't think anybody would have been surprised if he had gone with Mikey King. I think this is just a matter of having more options in the playbook while also accounting for the offensive line needing to solve for problems. That, that's it's the big one. He opens yeah. up the playbook. Go ahead, Drew, real quick. Well, no, well, I'll let Kyle go. finish. Oh, yeah, sorry. There's way too much being made. Oh, he's the guts guy. Everybody who says that cheapens Malzahn as a coach. If Mikey Keene separated, he would have catered to an offense that is more throw centric. 
He's got the receiver core to do that too. But I think this is more about the offensive line not being able to pass protect quite as well more than anything else. Let's not get lost in this. He's a Gus guy stuff. Right. And, and as I said before, Keen's more of a victim of circumstance than anything else. Right. Um, but but uh, this actually, you, met, you mentioned Jordan McDonald, and I want to hit this real quick. Uh, with the rule changes in blocking, you know, the running backs can't cut block anymore. They're going to have to block upright. You actually may see Harvey and McDonald get more playing time at the expense of a smaller guy like Johnny Richardson because with the offensive line, you know, needing to kind of gel and, and you know, the depth not really being there. And so they, they patched it together with, with, with transfers. Uh, and as you know, that's always very hit or miss. Uh, you need guys who can block upright and, and buy some time. Uh, you know, I don't know how Johnny's worked to adjust his style, but the traditional small scat back block doesn't work in college anymore. It's illegal. Great. Uh, they'll flag you for it. So uh, I'm actually glad you mentioned McDonald because that's also going to change how this offense operates. Uh, it's going to be beefier. It's going to be run centric and, and it's going to use that to open up the pass. So uh, thanks for bringing him up. Yeah. Hey, and uh, Since you bring that point up, Drew, does that transfer to mo more time for Kamari Gamble over Alec Haller in that instance as well? I would ask maybe uh, not. You may see two, two, tight end sets at that yeah. point because it really depends it's all it's all it's all about circumstance you know you're if you're in the you know the short field you may see you know two tight end sets to kind of get that extra blocker uh if if you're you know you know if it's fourth and one or you're near the goal line or there's that possibility you may see just occasionally around because both guys are a threat to catch the ball too they can they can hit and break uh, and and make a play. I mean, Al Alec Holler is absolutely amazing at, at tap dancing sidelines. I mean, uh, his third down conversions were were phenomenal. It was yeah. a lot of fun to watch. Eric Lopez, you were excited when this announcement came down, and you made no bones about that in our group chat. Why? Well, I think this gives the offense a higher ceiling and makes it more interesting. Look, credit to you. You nailed this. I think this is Nick Marshall Jr. I think Gus Malzahn sees this team as 2013 Auburn light. And Drew, you mentioned it. I think this is a run-first heavy team. They should be running the ball 55%. That's the strength of this team. Uh, I think you both, you and Kyle brought up perhaps some offensive line question marks there. Um, you know, could Mikey Keene do some other things better than, than John Rice Plumley? Probably. Doesn't mean he's the right quarterback for this team. And I think we... You know, Kyle, I, I think we're – it's not just you and me. I think we're – I was wrong because I thought Plumley would eventually be the starter, but I thought Keene would start the opener mm. because you and, and I think other media people thought the same thing, which is we thought this was an even job going in, and if it, all, if it was close, you go with the incumbent, the experience of a Keene. But I think what we've learned through this is that Plumley was ahead when this started. Whenever, however that happened, whether you believe it's because he's the – Gus's pick because he was the he Gus got him here where whereas he inherited Keena or whether Plumlee outperformed them in the spring because even in the press conference you were there Kyle you noticed how Gus kind of talked about well you know Plumlee you know I envision if they were live he could do this or that to me that tells me Plumlee was always ahead and that Mikey Keen had to outperform Plumlee to win the job instead of the other way around which you would think uh there so 
the interesting other thing, and Drew, you brought this up when this was announced. This tells me that Gus doesn't want to play a two-quarterback system because I thought early in the season he might start Keen, bring in maybe Plumley in relief, and go from there. But I think he's this is Plumley's job. I know some people are trying to make the Brandon Wimbush comparison. That doesn't fly here. Brandon Wimbush didn't fit a Josh Heupel system like Dylan Gabriel perfectly did. This is Plumley's job unless there's an injury, which there is a high probability of that, as we'll get into, or Plumley just totally struggles and you have no choice. That that does to kind of bring me to the next sort of question, which is what becomes of Mikey Keene? Now, we just saw also the news from last week that broke. Timmy McLean, who started last year for USF, came within a few yards of beating UCF in the bounce house last last year. Uh, and said in high school, when he Seminole High School graduate, said UCF was his dream school. He wanted to go there. Josh Heibel didn't recruit him. Timmy McLean announced he was transferring from USF after Jerry Bohannon was announced as USF starter. And Timmy McLean is now a UCF Knight. He announced he was transferring right away. He will not play this year. He will redshirt this year. Um, but this quarterback room just got a lot deeper. So then the question then spin forward, and I want to go to Drew on this, is what becomes of Mikey Keene? Because, Eric, you made a good point that, you know, if there's one thing that we've learned in the transfer portal era, it's don't throw yourself in quite right away because you're one hit away from getting the job that you lost. And that's something I think that UCF could use right now because we know that Tommy Castellanos, they don't want to burn his red shirt right away. Um, he's got some work to do, although reports out of camp are that he's getting, he's looking really good. Um, McLean is going to be running the scout team, so you can't play him. So, Drew, what becomes of Mikey Keene at this point? I, I, I my personal thought is he's going to stick around. He'll stick out the season. As he knows from last year, one hit away, everything changes. He lived yeah. it. Yeah if, anyone, yeah, if anyone knows the, the importance of yeah. that, it's him. He hey, lived it. What do you think with that, Drew? Plumley said exactly the same thing on the mic yesterday. So there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do I think he'll transfer after the season? Yes, I think he will. Um, the, the quarterback room is very crowded. And uh, there, uh, Dylan Risk, who's going to be, uh, who's uh, currently committed at, uh, would be a, as a freshman. So I mean, it's going to be a very crowded room. Uh, John Rice Plumley has one more year <laughs> of know, eligibility. It went, after it went that. from thin to crowded in just a few months. Look oh, at that. Very. <laughs> I mean, Parker Navarro left this offseason. Uh, I, I think Mikey Keene has an opportunity potentially to go closer to home. Arizona, Arizona State uh, would be you know, somewhere that I keep an eye out for him. But I, I think. I think he'll ultimately leave after the end of this season. Uh, I, I just think uh, with the progression of Castellanos and and uh, McLean becoming eligible, I, I think it's just going to be too crowded, and he's he bound to get eclipsed at some point. Not to say that he's he's not a good quarterback, but I mean, as I heard, I heard the same reports from you about uh, that you heard that that Tommy Castellanos looks really good, uh, and you know. That that bodes well for the future, but not if you're you know fighting him for a playing time. Mm. Bryson, go ahead. You had something to say on Plumley? Yes, I just wanted to elaborate on something that Eric mentioned because the what Plumley provides this system because he had Ryan O'Keefe, Isaiah Bowser, Johnny Richardson, that deep running back room already. I always thought that the key to this quarterback battle 
was who was going to unlock their potential more because that's what Nick Marshall did at in Auburn in 2013. He was a facilitator that provided that let Trey Mason, Cameron Artist Payne and Sammy Coates, especially to do the things that they did. Sammy Coates was the, the leader in the SEC in yards per reception in both 2013 and 2014 with Nick Marshall at the helm. So I know we're, I just wanted to elaborate on that Nick Marshall comparison because I think that John Rice Plumley is a facilitator in a very Sam manner that can elevate others ar- around him. And again, it's not a diss on Mikey Keene. And I disagree with you in the fact that I think that Plumley and Keene were even, at least from a practice standpoint, because Malzon mentioning that, you know, about thinking about what Plumley could do if they were live, my guess is they were so even in practice that really the biggest question that Gus had is that it would being live be the difference maker for Plumley. And so if they were exactly even in practice, then he would give the benefit of the doubt to Plumley because it, it, they weren't active yet. So give him a chance to be active in the South Carolina state game. And then of course you have, the, but mean, that's the, my point. My point is you just made my point. Plumley was ahead. Like, yeah. Basically, Plumley was going to be the guy if they played live in Gus's head. So Mikey Keene had to outperform him in practice, in the scrimmages, when they were not live. Because in theory, that should work to his advantage as the better passer. So I think Plumley was ahead. I wanted to uh, make make a quick point because I wanted to look back at Nick Marshall's stats at Auburn. Just to kind of give people a reference of what we're talking about. And then, Kyle, I wanted, you, got, you said you had a point to make. He started 26 games over two seasons at Auburn in 13 and 14, averaged about 160 completions for 250 attempts at 60%, uh, averaged about 2,200 yards per year, uh, average yards per attempt of eight and a half, uh, and uh, on average 17 touchdowns, six picks. Uh, Rushing uh, in two years, Marshall carried the ball about 100 and. 60 times for 900 yards a year and another 12 touchdowns uh, a year as well. So that kind of gives you an idea of statistically what Nick Marshall provided Auburn at that time. Now, granted, it's not exactly apples and oranges, Kyle, right? But um, yeah, and he's, but I think that's the part that I think some fans are kind of like having a hard time wrapping their heads around because we've been so used to what Mackenzie Milton and Dylan Gabriel did, particularly Dylan in that air raid offense, right? I mean, that was, um, but th- this this is a different style of offense, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's worse. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah, no, that's a great point, Jeff. And I mean, the, the way the way you could even look at it for those that are, are recent UCF uh, uh, fan historians, right? If GOL, uh, George O'Leary's offense, and the recent offense of the frost slash hypel era were made to be a hybrid. You could very well get that this year with Malzahn's crew, assuming that they're not a mash unit again, by the way, um, it was Malzahn that said Keen was more limited by live practice uh, missing than Plumley because no one had the opportunity to see if Keen got any better with his legs to speak of too. I think that should be mentioned as well. Fair and then also, as also as far as, um, uh, uh, two quarterback systems. Malzahn outright killed that. You remember, Eric, we were talking about it from the press conference that he had no intention of doing that. And when I even hinted at the possibility of a change up 
option for Mikey Keene. I got shut down pretty quick. You could get a good laugh out of that moment right. on the black. I, I want to go ahead. In fact, I got. I want to go ahead and play it real quick. Let's go play it right now. You had mentioned you were trying to avoid uh, doing a two quarterback system and such, but uh, is there a chance that Mikey will come in and do that kind of change of pace uh, aspect of you the know, offense? Right now, you know, we're, we're going this first game with John Ross for quarterback, and you know, we'll see how the season goes. But like I said, we're we're ready to see what he can do. And listen, he, he was super polite about it. I'm not hurt by it. I enjoy watching it too, but he definitely shut that down on the take. And, and Eric and I talked about that. The question had to be asked, and hey, Gus Gus took a liberty to move along with it. But by the same token, with all of that, I don't want people to assume Keen's go, Keen is going to transfer. I'm with Drew. If you're going to bet on a guy to transfer, it probably will be him. However, Plumley, if things go, don't go as well this season, may opt to stick to baseball. McLean is now an insurance policy for that. Castellanos, if he still looks like a deer in a headlights uh, a year later, he's going to compete with all of that. And McLean will be on the table, as will still be Mikey Keene in that instance. There's no certainty there. McLean is in here simply for two reasons. An insurance policy, because there's a chance one of the two guys could bounce and over and above all of that, it's great marketeering for one, air quotes, stealing the recruit from USF and also getting a local guy from Seminole High School, which all of you gentlemen are aware is certainly a big part of his recruiting. Uh, Absolutely. Big, I, that's to, the main reason here. Yeah. Not not to mention, I think, and this this calls to mind a point that Eric and Drew, you both have made, what, Timmy McLean as a scout teamer, okay? And this is the part that I, that I really like about it. Mm-hmm. Is you know what it what does UCF always have trouble with guys on defense? And oh, you guys, um, mobile um, dual threat quarterbacks. Mobile dual threat quarterbacks. Well, guess what? We got a mobile dual threat quarterback coming back in in Malik Cunningham in week number two, Louisville. We know about the problems that he caused the defense last year. Timmy well, McLean is going. Timmy McLean is going to have a lot of fun playing the part of Malik Cunningham for the scout team. And, and, and I do think that that will make the defense better as well. I don't want to, you know, I'm not saying that Timmy McLean's job is just to be a scout team quarterback. It's not, he's going to compete for the job next year. But in, in the meantime, that's why I think he's a valuable acquisition. No, I think that's a fair point. He could help this team right now in that way. Right. Uh, but, and I think that's huge. From that standpoint. Now, here's some good news for Mikey Keene. And Kyle, to, to, I'll back your point up on this. Uh, in the American Conference era, UCF's only had one starting quarterback for a full season three times. Really, two times, because let's throw away 2020. It was a short season. 2013, Blake Bortles Fiesta Bowl year. Mackenzie mm-hmm. Milton, 2017, mm-hmm. you know, Peach Bowl year. Every other year... You've had multiple quarterbacks start in a single season for various reasons, benchings, injuries, you oh, name yeah, it. Right, because 18, Wimbush was replaced. You're right. I was going to ask about – You yeah. mean 19. 18, remember, uh, M- M- McKenzie, obviously – Of course, the season, we all finally remember in 2014 the uh, illustrious Pete DeNovo era, but carry on. <laughs> and as much as a, as much as a, as much of a plumly guy as I like, and he, you can say he fits the system. The one thing I do question, and Kyle, you've been there, so I'm curious your thoughts on this. Can he hold up for a season? We don't know that. If he can hold up, like at quarterback, yeah. We talk about all the advantages, right? About oh, he can run. He's a great letter. You know what that also means? He means he's going to get hit a lot. Yeah. And I and and you've been there. You tell me what. His physical body. I know that's something you question too. Can he hold up for a season? So if you're Mikey Keene, 
you're one snap away from playing and your stock going up very easily. And history says you're going to get that chance if history repeats itself here. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and, and I'll put it this way, Eric, legs both serve to work for and against trying to keep him on the field for it in that if Drew and I are correct in our depth issues uh, uh, for the uh, offensive line, especially at the guard spots, um, those legs will keep him from taking a big hit in the backfield on a sack. Um, in the field of play, though, where we saw one Mackenzie Milton get, you know, a very horrible injury there, too. I think the best example, I'll go to the NFL for this. My mind is still blown that Kyler Murray hasn't missed more time than he has. And it's on the strength of a knowing how to understand, you know, what time to, to move, which direction and how to simply avoid contact. I'm hoping that they worked on that here in practice and camp, but considering that, that uh, Plumlee hasn't played the position in two years and all of that, that's an awful lot to ask for. I like that they have tune-up games to start with uh, as far as South Carolina State. Louisville game's going to worry me a bit just because, you know, they're a team that's based on speed in general. It would be unfortunate if out on an island he takes that hit, just like you said, Eric. But I think I think that's more to his intelligence at that point, to his physical traits. But, yeah, it, having a smaller frame certainly works against you there 100%. Well, we got one week to figure it all out before the Thursday night opener against South Carolina State. And then probably another week to figure it out to see what live action looks like for John Rice Plumley and possibly Mike Keene. And if things go well and UCF's up uh, up big in the fourth quarter, maybe we get to see Tommy Castellanos come in for, for a little mop-up. Well, I he think can play a- up to four games and still right. keep the red shirt. Well, and I think that's the, big po- that's the big positive. And you've seen the coaches starting to pump him up a lot. I really do believe this. In Gus's in Gus's mind, in a perfect world, John Rice Plumley is the guy the whole year, plays well, leads him to success, to the conference championship, to New Year's Six, and hand the keys over to Thomas Castellanos. That's Even with me, one year remaining in Plumley's eligibility? I think there's questions to Kyle's point and, and Drew's point and everybody's point. We don't know what Plumley's future is beyond this year. Does he decide to go baseball? Does he decide to, you know, who knows? But I think Thomas, it, you know, Thomas Castellanos is the future of this program. That has to be the goal. You have to have your guy ready for the Big 12. And I think Thomas, it's to me, the starter for UCF in the Big 12 is going to either be Thomas Castellanos or it's probably going to be somebody in the portal. I don't think it's going to be anybody else uh, because I do question whether Plumley, if Plumley has a great year, that's as high as his stock's going to be in football. So then he's probably going to – does he decide to move into baseball? There's people that think he's a better prospect in baseball. Uh, Timmy McClain, I just don't believe, will cut it. I'm sorry. I just don't think he's a Big 12 quarterback. So I think this is Castellanos. He has more tools, more upside. Uh, But to your point, Kyle, you brought up, can he grasp all of that? Because there's plenty of quarterbacks over the years that have the physical skills, but things don't work out for various reasons because it is a big step to go to college football. And whoever that quarterback is next year, you're going into a bigger step going to the Big 12. No, there's a lot of good stuff, Eric. The only thing I would push back on, and I mean, it's not a push. It's more of a tap with the finger in the other direction. If everything goes best case scenarios, you're talking about even UCF wins a New Year's Six, you're going to try to tell me that, Plumlee's going to miss the opportunity to ride that wave into being the savior at UCF's first year in the Big 12. Sir, that is a hard pill for me to swallow. But hey, if he just likes baseball better, that could happen. At that point, it's player discretion. That much credit I will give you. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. fair. I mean, that's fair. 
Yeah, that's fair. But again, I don't want to get into Plumlee's head because his his case is unique because he has options. I just want to get to Thursday night. That's what I want. You can't get to Thursday night. I just want to get to Thursday night. And all that will work itself out. But it's... But Eric, I think you brought up the most important point, which is what have we been saying going back to the offseason when Plumlee came here in the spring? Now Gus has more options. Correct. And that's what Gus wants to have. So, um, and, and you know what? Options are never a bad thing, even mm-hmm. at quarterback. Oh, uh, look, it's a, it's a gutsy move. It's a very, I really admire the it's move. A bold strategy, Cotton. Well, no, in all seriousness, because the safe move would have been to play start Keen. The safe play would have been, hey, let's just go with Keen. Go, but I, he's, I mean, he's taking a big. It's a bold move because there is more unknown with Plumlee. Uh, you know, and so it, it, I really admire the decision. I think with Gus saying, you know what, we're gonna go for it. This is the, you know, in my opinion, whether people can agree or not, some may, or, I know, won't agree. Some will. This is the guy that I believe can give us the highest ceiling that can maybe get us to an undefeated season. That can maybe, I really admire him for going for it instead of like, eh, you know what? I'll hedge my bet. Let's go this. He's going for the one quarter. He doesn't want two quarterbacks. He doesn't. He wants one. Mm, All right. Well, from the beginning of one era to the end of another, uh, we actually got word this morning, we're recording this again, Wednesday, August 24th, Shaquem Griffin, uh, wrote his article, wrote in an article on the Players' Tribune, uh, announced his retirement from playing football. So the final word on Shaquem in the NFL, three seasons uh, with the Seattle Seahawks. He latched on with the Dolphins for a brief period of time, but didn't quite... It, it, what Eric, you're the Dolphin fan. Did he? It, yeah, we didn't see him in action in 2021. Is that right? Correct. He didn't. I don't think he made yeah. it out of preseason. Actually. So, uh, so he retired. Uh, so he retires from the NFL with uh, having played in uh, 46 career games, one sack for his career. That happened actually. It's a pretty big sack for the Seahawks, if I can remember. 25 total tackles. But um, what made it even? Oh, he had one postseason sack in 2019 as well. But. Uh, the fact is, and I think we all agree on this, Shaquem Griffin's impact on the game of football extends far beyond anything he accomplished on the football field, by the way, pro or college. And this is a guy who was the American Athletic Conference's pl- uh, Defensive Player of the Year, was certainly the, uh, the the leader of the 2017 defense as well um, that defeated Gus Malzahn and Auburn in the Peach Bowl. Um the I, I now that his the book on his playing career appears to be done and Eric, I want to start with you on this. Where does he rank? Where is his place in the pantheon? I think he's the greatest UCF defensive football player ever. I think he's the Mount Rushmore of UCF football on and off the field as you mentioned, the you know people identify with him. Nobody will ever forget his performance. In the Peach Bowl, Drew, I believe you were there in person. Maybe the one of the greatest UCF individual performances. Without him, they don't win that game. Uh, he will be inducted into the UCF Hall of Fame as early as 2024, probably with his brother, Shaquille. I'm, I'm sure they would like to induct him tomorrow if they could. Well, eligibility reasons, you <laughs> got to wait seven. Although, you know, they can always make up rules on the fly. Um, 
But he's always going to be the ambassador of this university in a lot of ways, him and McKenzie. And they're always going to be remembered for that era. The NFL stuff doesn't matter. Uh, the NFL is a whole different thing. I mean, just to even get a cup of coffee in the NFL is an accomplishment. His legacy is here at UCF. Uh, he will get a roaring standing ovation every time he comes back. And I think the impact on and off the field, as you mentioned, Jeff, will last forever. And he uh, he's a legend at UCF. And uh, to me, he's a top, he's the best defensive player ever. I think he's a top 10 UCF player ever, athlete ever. Uh, to me, it's him, Milt, KZ, Blake Bortles, Culpepper, Kevin Smith. I think that's your, in, in some order, in some order, however order you want to do it, that's your greatest UCF football players of all time. Kyle? You know, you mentioned the whole point about the NFL and getting a cup of coffee is an accomplishment. Hey, how about in your first preseason game, you lead your team in tackles and you're, you're the guy on the team with one hand. How about that for an example? And by the way, this sack you mentioned, Jeff, in the playoffs was a sack of one Aaron Charles Rogers, where he met his twin brother Shaquille at the quarterback to make that sad ha sack happen. Listen, maybe he doesn't have any big NFL accolades, but as careers go and as cool things to do happen, that's certainly a fun one all the way, all the way around to have observed. I think Eric's completely right. There should be a Mount Rushmore. I could make an argument that down the line, he has the potential to even surpass KC's legacy, depending on what he does as an alum with the school. Yeah. I wanted to read an excerpt that I that I saw that, that I read here uh, from his uh, Players Tribune article. He said, um, "Yeah, after the Seahawks let him go, I went down to the practice squad, worked my way back to the active roster, went back and forth between the two for all. Then after the 2020 season, my brother signed with the Jaguars and I joined the Dolphins down in Miami. Being from St. Pete, I was happy to be back in Florida, but Miami, everything felt different. I was still the same player, energetic, happy, always working, but something was missing. And looking back on it now, I think what I was missing was my brother. I wonder. The Dolphins cut me before 2021. I worked out for the Cardinals, Titans, and Jets, and I got calls from Buffalo, Dallas, and Atlanta. But after that Jets workout, I realized something. All this traveling around, working out for teams, trying to catch on somewhere, trying to hang on, it wasn't what I wanted. Football had already given me so much, and the only thing that I still really wanted from the game was to play with my brother again. So I told my agent, Buddy Baker, thank you for grinding and bringing me these opportunities. But unless it's Jacksonville, I'm good. Uh, I know a lot of people might not understand that approach. There are so many guys out there working hard, just hoping for an opportunity, any opportunity. And here I am limiting them. Believe me, I get it. But you have to understand something about me. Football was always plan B. So again, that sack with his brother is the epitome of what he would be. He would have been asking for as an NFL player, man. That's the climax of the movie, isn't it? Yep. You know, I that's 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 the that's the Rudy sack against Georgia Tech in the movie that they're going to make one day about the Griffin brothers. Uh, Drew, you you followed Shaquem for a long time. I, it's it, it, it what I think is most remarkable about him is that you know everyone talks about you know okay he's he's the player with one hand yeah this guy's was an utterly dominant college defensive player right. dominant. What's interesting is how his family worked to basically not make it a hindrance. Uh, they developed tools for him to work out so that, you know, when you don't have a hand and you don't have these tools to help out, you're going to have muscle atrophy and all of a sudden you're not going to get the growth you need. They found ways around that. 
so that yeah okay so he's missing a hand but guess what that arm is really strong uh which makes up you know makes up for for the fact he can wrap he can tackle he can hit yeah. you know he had you know full range of motion all this other stuff so as he said it wasn't a disability and and he didn't want to be known for that so i i think he did a real excellent job and i gotta credit his his family i know his dad played a large role in 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 developing these tools when he was younger mm-hmm. to to help grow and become uh, a player that's not handicapped not hindered he's just a guy and yeah. just because he's, he's missing just hand, one of the guys yeah right just he's missing hand. okay that's that's like the the asterisk at the very end of the story oh yeah he just happened to not have one but you look you look at his stats and all this you would never have known there was anything different about him mm-hmm. i wanted to read these back these are his career stats at ucf he played well, officially five seasons. Obviously, redshirted one because he did uh, he didn't make the full you know four games, but really played the bulk of three seasons. Twenty fifteen was listed as a DB. Twenty sixteen and seventeen as a linebacker. One hundred and twenty two solo tackles, seventy three assists, one hundred ninety five total, thirty three and a half tackles for loss, eighteen and a half sacks, and uh, uh, let's see, five fumble recoveries, four fumbles forced, one fumble recovery for a touchdown. And what I think is probably, you know, when you really think about it in context, a remarkable statistic, three interceptions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, he's a defensive back. And that's that's what he grew up being. I mean, they well, two, two of them, though, as a linebacker. Right. They, they, they convert him later. But, you know, as far as his career goes, you know, his career in the NFL is not done. He's a brand ambassador. And, you know, yeah, yeah he hadn't been playing for a you know, while. He got, he got cut from Miami, you know. Uh, before the season started, but make no mistake about it. He's, he's still been talked about. He's been going around doing stuff. Uh, the shield has value in him, a major value. He, he, mm. he appeals to a very specific audience that would otherwise be disenfranchised. And, and now you can bring that audience in the fold. And then, you know, other people find inspiration from a, from a player who was told you can't do it. You can't be a guy where a, a coach in, in his little in, in like the little leagues basically said, yeah, he can't play because he's got a disability, uh, even though this is the opposing coach saying it. Uh, you know what? Screw you. I'm going to go make the NFL. And you know what? He did. That should be an inspiration to to all of us to basically, you know, someone tells you you're not going to do something, you can't do it. Give him a middle finger and go do it. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, I think there, there's a lot of value to that. Uh, UCF better ride this wave. They better utilize him as much as possible because not only is he a great brand ambassador, he's just a great person. Uh, I ran into him in the Atlanta airport after the Peach Bowl. He's waiting for his flight. And uh, I was with a friend of mine. We were both just waiting on different flights. And he's uh, he was a, a big fanboy. I mean, aside from the squirrel squee uh, that he gave, uh, <laughs> we went over to go, you know, go take a picture. And, you know, I, I'm, he was happy to take a picture with my friend. I took, I, I hate being in pictures is why uh, my Twitter picture is almost uh, five years old. Uh, <laughs> so I, I never took one, but, but he did. And, and, and you know what? He was happy. You could see, you know, when he smiles, it's genuine. I mean, he's just a genuinely happy person. But uh, one more thing aside, the fact, I love the Players' Tribune. It's an amazing website, an amazing medium for players to talk and speak their own mind. We also have to remember, uh, there's some interesting connections with twins. Um, you know, they have some sort of, they, they have 
I don't want to say metaphysical, but they they definitely have a connection that's uh, beyond what we see and feel. And the fact that that he he gravitates, you know, wants to just be with his brother, uh, that makes perfect sense. Uh, I you know I'm not a twin. Obviously, I'm not a twin. Uh, I killed the good ones. Uh, <laughs> I just assumed Kyle was your twin. He no, was actually, stunned by this. He was never this handsome. <laughs> I I, uh, I I do want to say though that I mean it, it, it's this is not something that I feel is like something to be sad about. This is something to be celebrated, and the fact that I look forward to seeing him, you know, back at UCF. Hopefully, we will see him on the field and uh, and celebrate his accomplishments at some point um, during the season. You should um, see him more as well. You know, yeah. When he was in football, purgatory, you, want to talk about you a, didn't see him. Yeah, you want to talk about a brand ambassador? What a great brand ambassador for UCF too. Like, yeah, this is the place that where you know we don't care, you know what, what other people say about you. We are going to give you a shot. So, congrats to Shaquem and a job well done. All right, uh, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to preview men's soccer. Uh, Scott Calabrese joins us to talk about his team and the revamped American Athletic Conference with four new teams coming in in men's soccer as they prepare for their transition to the Sun Belt and all that comes with it. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Bryson Turner with you here on uh, on our latest episode, the last of our spring previews. You know, we've talked to Tiffany Roberts-Hadak. We've talked to Todd Dagenet and Rounding out our uh, triple preview uh, is the guy whose team is going to be starting this week against Wake Forest in a revamped American this year uh, and is about to go through another transition. A lot of stuff happening with UCF men's soccer and their head coach, Scott Calabrese, joins us here to talk about his team. Hey, Coach Calabrese, how are you? Hey, doing well. Doing well, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Happy to have you on board. Thanks again. And uh, this is, you know, I, I went back and I, I almost forgot about this, but I, I, I tweeted it out earlier today. We're recording this on Tuesday, August 23rd. For you, women's soccer and volleyball, this is the first, nor- first season that you've had coming off of a normal offseason since 2019, yeah. <laughs> which is yeah. three years ago now. So I, I, have you ever it, like put it to pers- put it to perspective for us kind of what this has all been and how this season getting ready for this season has felt like getting back to the well, sort of if, if, if in so far as you can getting back to the old normal pace of preparing yeah. for a season now. No, I, I, I have I have thought about it and um, it does feel different and it feels it feels much better to have gone through this process that we've gone through to be able to have gone on the road in the spring and recruit and, and to see people, you know, potential players live and to interact with them personally and to have contact and then, and then to recruit them and then to bring them here and, and then have this very um, just a, a better, more detailed way to, to, form relationships with those recruits. And then now here we are, we have them here in the summer uh, and then leading in into the fall. It's, it's been really, really 
um, it's back to normal, but it just feels really good to be able to do it. So I'm, I'm really excited that we've had this, this progression in this way that we're back to this. Um, it makes such a difference. Yeah, it, it's been, um, it, it, it's, it seems pretty wild to think that it's been that long. And now this year you come into the American, and this is a pretty, another interesting, pretty interesting number that we were able to pull up in your uh, time here at UCF as the head coach, your Knights have never finished lower than second in the conference standings in the conference table and have never failed to reach the American athletic conference championship match, Uh, an astounding record of success, you know, to this point, but I get the feeling that you guys, that you feel like, you know, there's still some things you have that you want to accomplish. What are some of the things that you now tell this team going forward so that they're not resting on their laurels here? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it was always, it's always been our intention to, to do better than we did before. Right. And, and that, you know, in that setting of the bar for ourselves, uh, you know, last season when we finished second, that was, that was a disappointment for, for our group, even though there were a lot of changes in that group, right. That, that, that was a very different fall for us with different personnel and, some real challenges, but, but finishing second, that, that was, that was not what was acceptable to, to the team or, or, or to the staff. Um, and then, you know, we, we really got back on to our best football go at soccer going into the, the final and gave ourselves a great chance to, to advance and, and get into the NCAA tournament. Um, but I think our, you know, Obviously, there's this wins and losses outcome standard, but I think what we're really trying to do is achieve a standard that isn't measurable in those wins and losses, but will be hopefully reflected in those wins and losses and just how we how we run our program and 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 you know the 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 way in which we work every day and our players work every day and and that's really the focus that we have because we know that that's going to be at the root of our success and is going to lead to these these outcomes that we have our eyes on coach uh, we've obviously talked over the years i know one of the things that's been pushed and you know talked about in men's soccer i mean there's so many things going on in men's soccer as a sport that yeah. i can't wait to ask you about but one of them what we discussed in the past is possibly going to a two-semester sport you know the, the, the 21st century model i know that's been pushed back having yeah. gone through what you what you've gone through in 2021, where you basically, that was like a practice run. Has yeah. anything changed your mind on how you feel about it? And where do you think that stands now moving forward, you think, in the future? Yeah, no, that that is a great question. And I think um, I, I'm 100% convinced that playing one game a week on, on the weekend and, and having the right build up to that game leads to an incredible match day where we're ready to perform, we're ready to do our best, the opponent's the same, and, and we're then able to, to put on, you know, the right sort of performance for, for the fans, for ourselves. So uh, that, that spring where we played one game every week, uh, we experienced a lot of success, uh, you know, during that year from that, that wins and losses standpoint, but just the preparation going into that, 
that Saturday game knowing that you've done everything to be ready for that that match um and so uh it is it is something that's still out there that that's being discussed that's something that's still going to be considered but what's happened is that it's been tabled to a degree with this transformation committee and so with so many potential unknowns in division one soccer and division one athletics period uh the powers that be have said hey pump the brakes why don't we figure out what the entire landscape is going to look like across the board before we make this jump to to this 21st century model two semester model so it, it's still a possibility my my hope is that that after this transformation committee you know gives its recommendations and things are adopted that we'll then have a platform to say yep okay all this is is now been decided this model still makes sense and let's do it yeah, kind of a walk before you can crawl. We're still getting reports on what that Division One committee is talking. There's all kinds of stuff that's flying around seemingly every day about what rules yeah. we're going to see. Eric, go ahead. You got a follow-up? Well, you mentioned the la- the landscape, the unknown. I feel like men's soccer has set the trend for the other sports with all the changes that's going on, and you're right in the middle of this. Yeah, uh, being in the Amer- the changes within the American. I mean, you're still in the American for your last year, but yet it's a it's a brand new league with the new additions already this year, and yeah. then obviously moving to the Sun Belt, which is bringing back men's soccer. Just describe that. It's got to be wild for you. Is your head spinning with all these changes? Just tell us about this process. Last year yeah. in the American, but new members, and then you're going to a new league in the Sun Belt. Yeah, so I I think both developments. Are, are great and welcome by, uh, if we start with the American, to, to add the teams that we're adding to the American, it means two things. And I think this is really important. The American got better with FIU coming in, who had a big year, right? It's FIU, UAB, FAU, and Charlotte, right? So Charlotte's a, a powerhouse in college soccer, usually in that top 30 teams always knocking on the door of an NCAA tournament appearance. FIU has had a couple good years uh, last year being a really good one. So you add, you add some quality teams. Uh, and then the other side of that is we don't have to play this home and home, which is what we've done for the past couple of years, that COVID year. And then last year, and, and that was not something that, that we intended to, to do beyond that COVID year. Uh, the the reason the reason it happened was because of the COVID year, but then, you know, it it hung around <laughs> in the fall, and and we didn't enjoy it. So we're really happy to to go in that direction. And then obviously, when when this season's over, then we're moving to the Sun Belt, and and the Sun Belt is just such an exciting conference with the Power Five teams that are in the Sun Belt. So it's us in West Virginia are going to represent the Big 12. And then you have the two SEC teams in Kentucky and South Carolina. And then now you can you can add Marshall in there. They won the national championship during that COVID spring. Um, JMU, also, also a team that ends up in the NCAA tournament pretty much on a yearly basis. Um, 
Georgia State was in the NCAA tournament last year. So, so there's there's so many good teams in that conference, and it's just it's going to elevate kind of our our experience and 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 our competition. So, I, I think it's a great move. I, I feel, Coach, like it's it's kind of the way the American worked out this year is a real stepping stone to what the Sun Belt is going to look like in 2023. Because you know, like you mentioned, the American goes from six to ten. Everyone plays each other once. Unfortunately, uh, surprise, surprise, they're giving you five road matches out of the nine. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, and and two of them are at FIU, and obviously you're familiar from, with FIU, and and the other one at Tulsa. Uh, at least you get SMU uh, at home, uh, as well as uh, as well as FAU. But you know, we went back and looked at the RPIs. Like, there's you know, eight of the top ten were in the RPI top top 100. Um, and so, so, and then, but what it also did was it shrank your, your non-conference schedule a little bit. So you start with wake, you know, obviously another NCAA tournament team from this, from last year, but then you play two big West teams and two a sun teams. Now, was that by design, given the fact that, you know, you have what 10, 11 newcomers on your roster, you kind of want to. Ex- it feels like you know you're, they're going to get some really good exposure to an NCAA caliber team in Wake, and then you can kind of in that opener, and then you work the kinks out before you hit conference play. Is that's kind of how you how you see it playing out? Yeah, I, I think so. On on one level, scheduling was really difficult this year because we lost what would have been non-con games. All of a sudden, became conference games. Yeah, and that happened late. So, so we had to make some decisions based on what was available. But I think the way it's worked out is you take a look at that Wake Forest game, which is, you know, Wake is uh, top 20 uh, every year, top 10 half of the years, right? So you're, you're immediately going in and you're saying, okay, wh- what's the bar in college soccer for, for all of these new players who – who are coming into college soccer and, and it's like, it's their first time. Um, or if you say from a team perspective, as a team, we have to be this cohesive at this level, this quickly. Uh, so I think it's a really, really good test. It, it's going to be a great atmosphere too, because Wake Forest opening night, you're probably looking at six to 7,000 people in, in the stadium uh, for, wow. for yeah, it's it's a great atmosphere that first game at Wake. Uh, so that's a, that's also a type of experience that our players need. You know, we we need to be in these big games in those atmosphere in, in an atmosphere like this to really understand what it is we're we're trying to do and the level we're trying to play at. And I think it's a measuring stick, but it's also something um, that I think our players can can rise to. Um, so I think it's a great way to start off the season and then you move into some different opponents, um, which of course, you know, every one of those games is, is important in that non-conference schedule so that you can put together a resume that gives you the opportunity to be drawn into the NCAA tournament. Right. So our success during those, the, that period is, is really important. Um, we're trying to put that resume together. But then, of course, most important is going to be our conference, right? And, and, and the regular season conference schedule. And you see in our schedule, we don't have midweeks 
during our conference. We're really focused on preparing each game and, and, and making sure that we show up prepared and, and ready to go and fresh so that we can get results in conference play. Uh, Bryson has a follow-up for you too on that real quick, coach. So, so you meant you mentioned how you this for, for this season you have those non-conference teams that are now in conference. You played at you know FAU for example. That, but with the move to the Sun Belt, do you think that that opens up the potentiality for them to be back on the non-conference schedule? So while it may be a problem this season, it's just a temporary problem. And then of course you have rivals like SMU. Uh, no, ab- absolutely, and that that's part of the plan is now okay. The war on I-4, USF, is not going to be in our conference, but that can become a great non-conference game. You know, FIU falls in the same category. A a top team, they're just down the road, uh, a rival for us. Again, you know, once we leave the American, then that conference game becomes a non-conference game, and it, it really opens up some some great non-conference matchups that that we can schedule. So I, I think in, in the end, it's it's going to work out really well for us. And, and that's a desirable game for USF, for FIU, and, and for us. So I, I think you'll see us schedule those guys um, every year. So uh, that's, that's big. That's great news to hear, too, from a fan standpoint, too. You mentioned SMU. I'm glad to hear that because that's a big rivalry in the South Florida Obviously, it's become a big rivalry, too. So that definitely is going to help the whole resume. Uh, Roster, a lot of new faces. Jeff alluded to it. Yes. How has that gone here as you get set for the season and and building that culture with so so many new faces? Yeah. uh, Honestly, um, it's been really, really good. And and I'm really encouraged by just how quickly – this group has is become a team and and the the camaraderie the the chemistry whatever you want to call it between that group is really really strong so i i feel really good about where we are uh, you know now now of course you now you're going to meet some challenges right and 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 when you deal with adversity which is adversity comes in lots of ways it's it could be a loss it could be you're not selected, right? That's always a, an adverse situation for a player. So we're going to meet some adversity, and we'll know more about ourselves when when we play these games, right? Because even if you win them, there are players that are playing and there are players that aren't. There are players that are traveling, there are players that aren't. And so that that's always going to create a little bit of um, difficulties for, for different people and, and for the team. But I think we're at a point right now with a young group with so many new faces that that we will be able to deal with those challenges in a really positive way because we've, we've already talked about them and we're not hiding from from those moments. Um, but I think we've got a group that's really committed. And so if we have a really committed group that's ready for those moments, then then when they come we're going to be able to work through them. But I, I'm, I'm excited about this group. A lot of mature kids as well, because it, within that group, there's some transfers, right? There's, there's some, there's some guys who have played in the ACC, who've played in, in a top conference and 
they understand how how college soccer works. They understand this competitive environment. So I, I feel like those guys will also add something that maybe some of the younger guys weren't wouldn't be ready to add. So that that I think is a real plus. Coach, you spent a lot of time last year trying to work through the keepers. The shadow of Yannick Ertl was very long, <laughs> right? Yeah, and yep. uh, and, and and listen, all, all three guys last year had their moments, right? You know, uh, Matt Douglas, um, Tyler Levine. Uh, you know, he saw the most action, won seven to ten. Bernardo Brandau from Brazil came in from Brazil and spelled him into the almost, like you said, almost got you to the conference to the NCAA yeah. tournament on his shoulders. Um, now he's gone. Levine and yeah. uh, and Matt Douglas are back. And you also got two newer kids in Luciano Natoli and and Juan V. Munoz. So how is the keeper situation shaping up for you, given that there was quite a bit of turnover from last year? Are you do you feel like you're going to be set on someone or are you still going to try and see how how it plays out? So re- really good question and a, and a big question mark from last year. Um, and I think right now it's two guys have really stepped up and and put themselves in a position to start this first game uh, Tyler who actually did really well last year and probably had the majority of the minutes um, but then maybe lost a little bit of confidence you know there was there was a rough game uh, there for him and and then kind of followed by another rough game last fall he lost a bit of confidence and, and we gave somebody else a shot. Well, I, I think Tyler's done really well in this preseason. Uh, he did well in the spring. And so I think he's, he's one of the guys that has the potential to, to be selected. And then you have Wanvi. And so Wanvi is a goalkeeper from Spain. You know, he played at a very good level in Spain and uh, he's come in and he, they, they, they both have, have some really good qualities that fit our system and fit fit how we want to play. They're both really good with their feet. Um, they're, they're, they have the confidence to get the ball at their feet when we're building out. And that's been, that's been really important. Um, and they, they, they both, it's kind of every day, it might be a little bit different. One day, Wanvi might be a little bit ahead and he'll have a great day. And, and Tyler's really close, but, but, let's say Wambi won the day and maybe the next day Tyler steps it up a little bit and you know Wambi's a little bit behind him but w- what I think that's doing is that's that's forcing them both to be their best right and 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 is hopefully going to lead to them pushing each other and then eventually we're going to have to make a choice um and that choice we're going to have to make one for Thursday but but I think we've got two guys right now who are getting better and are pushing each other and and you know, we're going to have to, we're going to have to come up with a choice by Thursday, but, but we've got, we've got two guys. And then, you know, the other two, Matt and Luciano are both great as well. Luciano's a young kid. Um, whereas Wambi's a little bit older. Luciano is young, but has tremendous potential. And Matt's, Matt's been with us for, for a long time, really solid goalkeeper, even better human being and leader within our team. So that group I feel is, as strong a group as as we've had um and so I, i'm looking for really big things from that group 
Coach, while you can only have one goalkeeper on the pitch at a time, you can have plenty of goal scorers. And last season, you had four of your forwards make an all-conference team of some kind. You had Luca Dorado on the first team. You had two on the all-rookie team. How important is it to have that kind of, I guess, proficient depth when it comes to goal scoring? Yeah, for for us – we're a bit more focused on the attack, right? Where we want to possess the ball. We want to progress the ball. We want to play in the opponent's half. We want to create chances. We want to score goals and goals change games. And so, you know, for us, if you have more than one source of goals, then it's very difficult for a team to prepare for everything, right? If Gino can score goals and Luca Dorado can score goals and, um, you know, bomb can score goals and Kevin can score goals and we're getting goals out of the midfield from either an AJ or a Mao, then you can't put too much emphasis on defending any one particular player because as you do, you're going to expose yourself as a, a, our opponent would expose themselves to an attack from a, from another area. So, you know, for us, it's important that, that we're able to get goals from different sources to get them in different ways. Uh, as teams try to stop us from doing the things that we like to do, we need to be able to score goals in 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 a way that, you know, if they take that away, then it opens up this opportunity. And so, it's a it's a big focus on on us, and it it's part of our identity as a team that we're not trying to sit back and just soak up a bunch of pressure and eke out games one zero. Uh, we're we're trying to go and win the game. You one of those goal scorers, of course, is Gino Vivi. I saw uh, that he made a Twitter post that said uh, one last ride, one last season. So if this is to be his last season, how important is it to make the most out of this last season with him and Luca Dorado paired together? Because those two combined for almost just less than half your goals last year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, they're. I, I don't want them to put too much pressure on themselves for goals, right? Because when you do that, you can distract yourself from the whole game that's going on around you and all these little decisions you have to make. So I think they're capable of scoring goals. They're capable of creating chances and finding each other because they understand each other. When, when the organic process that happens when you play with other players is that you understand the little details about what they like. Like when they make this run, I understand that this is the ball they want and that they, they don't want the ball to their left foot. They want the ball to their right foot. And, and that's where those two, they'll find each other and, and create chances for each other. And, and they understand each other. And, you know, it, I obviously, you know, there's this evolution that happens when those guys come in, they came in a couple of years ago, they were the younger guys. Right. And, and there were, guys like Louis Perez and Yoni and, you know, some Cal and um, Johnny, right. Those guys were more the, the guys that were leading the way. And those guys have graduated and moved on and, and um, have great, you know, pro careers, uh, some of them. And now Luca Dorado and Gino and some of these other guys that came in a couple of years ago were younger. Guess what? Now, now you guys are the leaders and the young guys are going to look to you. So I think it's a great evolution for them. It's the natural evolution 
of being a high level player or a top player in a college program is that you kind of start out in one role and then you end up as, as the guy that everyone's looking towards. So, um, you know, and the hope is of course, what, what you alluded to, if this, this is the last year, cause Gino could come back. Uh, he's got one more year cause of COVID, but if it is the last year, then you're going to go through that evolution. Again, you're going to become a, a rookie <laughs> and then you're going to go into an environment and, and you're going to have to learn and get better and, Hopefully someday, you know, you end up as an established pro. Um, but I'm excited for those guys, and I think they're ready for it. Only seemed like yesterday, Gino arrived to campus and he was setting up Cal Jennings for that magical golden goal huh. against Missouri State, which I will always remember having called that one. And, and, and it reminds me, obviously, you've had players that make immediate impact. I'm curious of all the new faces, whether it be a freshman or a transfer, who are some of the names that you think can make an immediate impact and a big contribution to this team's success this year? I I think, I think we have a few actually. Um, some will be a little bit more subtle than, than others, right? I think Rafa uh, Crivello, the transfer from Pitt and AJ, the transfer from NC state. I think both those guys will make a, a big impact in the team. Um, and I think with Rafa, it's just, he's very smart. His passing decisions, it's generally, he's making the right choice nine out of 10 times. He's, he's composed. Uh, he's a good defender. And he might not stick out in the same way, maybe another player who I'll, I'll talk about later, um, would stick out, but, but he's going to make a big impact. And AJ is the same every, every day AJ plays within our team. I notice how much he's taking in with our system and how to play. And he's just already become a very effective central midfield player for us. Um, and so he's, he's really exciting. Some of the passes that he is able to see the, the positions he's taking up in our midfield, He's it's starting to click for him. I think he's going to be very good. Um, and then you got two attacking players who are young. Um, and Kevin Andrews from, and he was here last year. I think he's poised to have a really good year as either a right or left winger. And then Emmanuel Baum, who, who has done really, really well. And he's a right to dream player from Ghana explosive. I think he, he's the one that's probably going to catch your eye. Those two will catch your eye because of just the athleticism, the work rate They're They're willing to get in behind and, and run in behind and they can, they can make things happen. Uh, those guys will catch your eyes as exciting and, and guys that are really going to help us. Um, and then some of the other ones will be a little bit more subtle. Well, Ed, let me ask you this coach real quick about the back line defensively how is that looking because i know that was something that you oh. wish there was more consistent last year uh, yeah. how is it looking this year i i feel like we have made some some progress with that group and um rafa is is part of that group as a left center back he's come in um you know he, he and andreas are kind of fighting it out for that left center back position rafa's put himself in a really good spot as we're going into wake, uh, I, I would say Zane Bubb, who is a transfer from Virginia Tech, 
he's done a really good job and put himself in a position where where he could potentially be our starter at the right center back position the the young man Mael Hayes from France uh you know the the French players tend to be really good playing out of the back and Mael has that 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 ability to just build the ball even under pressure to find the right passes so that we keep possession and keep the ball moving up the field Mael has that um, and then I'm interested to see though, though he's carrying a little bit of an injury right now, and I don't know if he'll be available for wake, um, Timothy Sinclair, who he actually played this summer in the CONCACAF U twenties and, uh, did a great job, but that probably contributed a little bit to, to some nagging injuries coming into our preseason, but as a, as a right back, he's a really interesting player. So we, we definitely targeted that back line for for improvement and and really trying to get the right group in there um because i would say yeah we we had conceded too often last season in in ways that were avoidable and uh and so that that's been that's been a a big uh, focus for us how to rebuild that back line well here's to uh a season and making sure that they do exactly what you're hoping to do you guys start again uh, <clears throat> against uh, Wake Forest later this week in a game that you said will be huge. It'll actually be televised on the, <clears throat> excuse me, ACC Network. Wake Forest. Good way comes to start with... exposure there, Coach. Good exposure. Yeah, not to bad, start. really. Uh, <laughs> number fifteen in the country on ACC Network, and you get your ch- and you get your chance at them, and uh, and then you yeah. have your fir- your home opener against North Florida on Monday, August 29th, uh, and the conference opener uh, in this. Completely retooled conference is September 30th, Friday, uh, against FAU. Scott Calabrese, head coach of UCF men's soccer. Coach, thanks again for taking time for us. We really look forward to you guys. The most exciting brand of soccer for my money that you're going to find anywhere. <laughs> Certainly, don't, t- don't tell any of your friends we said this, but like we think you're the most exciting soccer team at the very least in the city and probably in the entire state and probably <laughs> in the entire country based on the style of play that you guys play, it's always a blast. You've given us so many good memories uh, over the, over your first five years here. And here's to even more this year uh, in our last year in the American, as you head toward the Sun Belt. Thank you so much, coach. All right, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks to coach Calabrese. Uh, always good speaking to him. He said, you know, he, I, I, I'm such a huge admirer of him. He's such a great ambassador for his sport. And for his team in particular, I mean, I mean, obviously all UCF coaches are, but like, um, but he's he's such an evangelist for the for the the game of collegiate men's soccer, and uh, we get such great insight from him every single time. On top of the fact that, as we said in the interview, the most exciting brand of soccer I've ever seen in my entire life, um, the most exciting soccer team, not just in the city of Orlando, but probably in the state and probably in the country as well. Um, and and that calls to mind, Eric Lopez. The uh, what is the next step for this team? You know, I, it, it's funny. You know, I talk. You heard in the interview like the shadow of Yannick Ertel is still very long with this team, but I think you could also argue, and I regret I didn't ask him this. Really, the shadow of Cal Jennings is also very long, isn't it? 
It is, uh, but I mean, I think he feels, I mean, offensively was not their issue at the end. I mean, Luca Dorado really stepped into a different level last year. I think the issue, the big question, and I even asked him at the end there, is about the back line. We focus so much on the goalkeeping, but the back line's got to be much more secure. I mean, they weren't as consistent, I think, as he would have liked last year. Uh, and they're going to, you know, and I think there's a lot of intrigue to see how these pieces fit. We're going to get some answers early against Wake Forest, but in a lot of ways, for men's soccer, that's kind of where we're at. There's a lot of intrigue in the American this year with all the new members. There's intrigue about the future going all that. So uh, this team is, it, there's a lot of intrigue in general that to, to, with questions. Along those lines, Eric, we just had it. Uh, it just dropped the uh, American Athletic Conference. Pre, it, of course, it drops five minutes after we're done with the interview. The, uh, the American Athletic Conference preseason coaches poll is out, as are the preseason awards. Tulsa picked to win it all. Uh, they, now, they're listed as a unanimous selection, but remember, the coaches are not allowed to vote for their own team. But nine of the ten coaches voted for Tulsa. Tulsa's coach obviously voted for uh, FIU, who got the only other preseason uh, number one nod. But Tulsa, number one. UCF picked number two. Charlotte and FIU, who competed for Conference USA last year, tied for third, SMU fifth, South Florida sixth, Memphis seventh, FAU, another new entrant, eighth, Temple ninth, UAB, another new entrant, tenth. Alex Meinhard of Tulsa named the Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, Mariano Fazio, a, also of Tulsa, the Defensive Player of the Year. Tulsa swept the individual awards. Alex Lopez, their goalkeeper, named Preseason Goalkeeper of the Year. Three nights on the preseason all-conference team. Luca Dorado, Anderson Rosa, Gino Vivi. Um, thoughts on uh, that preseason ranking? I thought there was a really good possibility we could see FIU picked as a favorite, but Tulsa was so good last year. They were top 10. Yeah, no, yeah, they're a college cup contender. They yeah. could, they, they were close. They to could the win the I, whole not, thing. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so I think this is a strong year for the American there. FIU is really good. I thought FIU might actually be the second pick. Uh, yeah. Shows respect, though, for UCF that they get the second pick instead. Uh, but I think this is a league this year. They hope they could be a three-bid league, four-bid, you know. Uh, oh, I think they could go gonna... for four. I, you know, well, remember, I... it's a 48-team field, 48-team field. So that, that's, that's, you that's know, true. What, but but remember, these are, these are teams from Conference USA, Oh, that yeah. was yeah. one of the yeah. one of the better. Say what you want about Conference USA, one of the better men's soccer leagues that are in there. You're you're taking, you know, if you're taking, you had two Conference USA teams. I think make the field last year, and two and three teams from the American. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I would not be surprised to see four to see those maybe that four Tulsa, UCF, FIU, and I would say either Charlotte or SMU. Fair. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if UCF can shore up the back line, get the answers at the goalkeeping that they want, I think that's what that the best case scenario if you're a UCF perspective. I think that's the big question uh, with this season for the Knights. I think offensively they got enough repertoire to be fine. Uh, the system works. It's the defense. It's the goalkeeping that will determine how far this team can go. Bryson, your thoughts on what you see from that preseason poll? I uh, I think it's going to be that a competition with the top five teams. Because I, if you look at the amount of votes that they have, um, because yeah. uh, besides the first place vote, there's the number of like, I think it's how ranked choice works and that sort of mm -hmm. stuff. There is a big drop off from number five SMU, which has 58 to, to number six USF, which has 36. 
So this is going to be, I think, a battle, a dogfight between the top five teams here. And I, and then of course there's Charlotte. Charlotte didn't actually have anybody in the preseason, all the conference team, which has me intrigued, but I think the, that this new, new, newly revamped American, like you said, Eric, it's going to be, it has the potential for it to be a three bid league, which means that this, this year's conference play is going to be very, very interesting. As far Mm. as the all conference team, by the way, you mentioned how the Tulsa players uh, swept the preseason individual awards again those three Tulsa players were also voted unanimously to the preseason all-conference team alongside one other player there's only one other player besides those three Tulsa players that were voted unanimously there Luca Dorado Luca Dorado I will I will die on this hill by the way if men's soccer had had a better season last season then Luca Dorado would have been our bandy male athlete of the year that's how good a year he had. I, you know, you're not wrong. I, I think that you know, I, and you could tell when we talked to Coach Coach Calabrese that that last three matches of the regular season where they dropped those last three, they were in prime position, and they dropped those last three matches: one to SMU, one to Tulsa, one to Cincinnati. I think it was Eric. That sticks in his craw. He's like, man, I. He's like, we had this thing in right. the bag. And we let it slip through our, and we had lapses, and that's what, that's what costs us the regular season title, and probably, and I, and actually, I think likely, an at large bit. No doubt, and that's what I'm talking about consistency, and it goes back to I think the back line, I think it goes back to the goalkeeping, it's consistency, the leadership, mm-hmm. I think that's what they're hoping for. Uh, so we'll see. A lot of new faces, though. So we'll I see just, how the I just say fit. not Cincinnati, South, Southern, uh, uh, South Florida was that was that third loss, um, that that kind of cost. But yeah, it did it did cost them that that at large bid. But you know what? Hey, they're picked second in the league. Listen, if they if if that that holds true and they and and they finish second in the American this year, I'll tell you, in, I'm going to be interested to see the conference RPI numbers, Eric, where the American moves. With these four additions from Conference USA, I think it's a much stronger league. And like we said to Coach, it's it, it's almost like a a double bump in conference, where where you know with with FIU and Charlotte. That yeah, no, it, that's big addition. It, it's it's like making it's like it's like going into two com- two new conferences in two consecutive years, going from this revamped American to the Sun Belt next year too. No doubt. Look, the ACC is the standard in men's soccer. Yeah, by but far. the gap is closing. Uh, a little bit. And so you hope that the Sun Belt there and then the American could be those two leagues that step into those roles and challenge the ACC uh, moving forward. Obviously, there's uncertainty with the Pac-12 and their future, as we've discussed at length in previous podcasts. We're not going to mm-hmm. get into that. Uh, so, but And there's a lot of uncertainty in men's soccer. Let's be real. There's a lot of movement. Uh, a lot of questions. What is the schedule going to look like in a few years as we discuss with the 21st century model? So it's just men's soccer. There's just so many questions, kind of like with this team going in. A lot of intrigue, a lot of new faces, and we just got to see how it plays out. Yeah. Now you mentioned the Pac-12. They're losing um, UCLA. They're going to be down to five. Yeah. Big, big, yeah. big quote. What's going to happen? And by, and by the way, they are, and they already have one affiliate member in San Diego State. Yep. So <laughs> foreshadowing perhaps their future for other sports. <laughs> well, then I know. All right. Well, thanks again to Coach Calabrese. UCF underscore M soccer. We're going to have that preview up before their opener against Wake Forest. Uh, Bryce and I are putting the finishing touches on everything you need to know about the 
2022 UCF men's soccer team. We're going to have that up uh, soon enough, so make sure you check that out with a full preview of their schedule, look at the breakdown of the roster, and all the things to look for for the Knights in 2022 as they embark on this campaign in a completely retooled American Athletic Conference prior to joining the Sun Belt in 2023. All right, when we get back, we still have more to talk about here. Kyle Nash is going to come back and join us again. We're going to talk a little bit more about men's basketball. Non-conference schedules up. We'll break that down. Women's soccer entering the top 25 in the coaches poll after an unbeaten weekend against two SEC teams to start. So that's an impressive start for them. And uh, a little bit more when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, and we're back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Bryson Turner joining you. Kyle Nash has come back to join us again as we wrap up the show here with a couple things we wanted to talk about. Men's basketball non-conference slate has been announced. Uh, and uh, a couple of... Interesting things that we see here on this schedule. The season starts on Monday, November 7th. UNC Asheville comes to town. Home opponents for UCF, November 11th. Florida State coming to town. Western Illinois, November 14th. Trip out to Oklahoma State on Friday, November 18th. Or excuse me, no, that's not a trip out to Oklahoma State. That's part of the uh, Bahamar Convention Center tournament out there in in, uh, Nassau. So UCF will play Oklahoma State to start, and then either DePaul or Santa Clara. Uh, Other home opponents, November 23rd, Evansville. November 27th, Miami. December 4th, Samford. December 11th, Tarleton State. At Ole Miss, December 14th. uh, Down to Sunrise for Missouri on December 17th, and then home for Stetson December 21st. That's what we have, at least as of right now. So checking in on this schedule... Basically, you only leave the state twice. One, you go to the Bahamas, which is, you know, not that far away, and it's the Bahamas. Awesome. <laughs> and then the other time is uh, is that trip to Ole Miss. So, uh, Kyle, I'll start with you covering basketball. Um, this is a rather favorable schedule, I think, for a group that is not returning a lot of guys from last year. Although some key guys back and forth, but... Um, I kind of like how this shakes out because, you know, you're playing, obviously, a Big 12 team. First time in UCF history, if I'm not mistaken, also that both Miami and Florida State are coming to UCF in the same season. Yeah, by the way, a lot of weekend games as well, so the fanhood has very little excuse to skip out on it. And I like the whole concept of not leaving the state. If If you're in the state that you're in right now where you're you know, filling a lot of stuff with transfers and rebuilding and, and all that sort of stuff. I, I like a lot of what I see here. You know, it, it, I'll put it very this Syracuse of Johnny Dawkins to pull that off. You know, the legend about Syracuse is they never leave the state of New York until the new year. But anyway, I mean, yeah, hey, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that in some cases, too. Now, granted, if, if you're looking for that, you know, barn burner game, you know, that was a big deal like Michigan. Um, You may not have that so much on here, but. I, I really think you're going to have a lot of fun with that Miami game. It'll be very interesting seeing Darren Green come back to town uh, to see if he shoots the lights out upon his old squad uh, coming in there with the Seminoles. But, you know, uh, Darius Johnson, we know he's going to be a big deal. It'll be very interesting to see him cut his teeth with this squad early in November there, and we'll see what they can build. Eric, what do you think? I actually disagree with you, Kyle. I, I actually think the Florida State team's b- bigger than Michigan – from this standpoint, it's Florida State 
a great program, Leonard Hamilton. It's an in-state thing. You know how you say it's UCF Florida State. You know, you just get him on the field. People get all fired up. And the Darren Green storyline coming back, that's fascinating to me. Now, what's interesting about that, that's going to be on a Friday night, mm-hmm. November 11th, the night before UCF football's at Tulane. I'll be curious what the crowds will be like, you know, because, you know, New Orleans, I don't know if uh, people this just in is a very favorable destination for people to like to go visit and maybe catch a football game. So I have a feeling a few night fans might be making the trip to New Orleans and may not stick around for the Florida State game. We'll see. Miami was a team that was in the Elite Eight last year. Jim Laranaga has done a great job. So I think the fan base is excited to play teams like Florida State and Miami sure. to some extent in a lot of ways. So I think that the combination that Jeff alluded to, I think it's a heck of a combination to put them both at home schedule there. Plus you have a storyline December 21st, Donnie Jones will be back in addition financial arena as the head coach of the Stetson Hatters, the former UCF head coach. There's a little storyline there. So there's some interesting, fascinating storylines here. I think it's smart to schedule the way Donnie, uh, the way Johnny did, because you have a young team. So mm-hmm. you don't want to like over schedule and get beat up. I think you, you know, you try to do a manageable schedule. You try to build some chemistry that maybe you could argue wasn't there last year uh, and try to grow and this is a way to do it. Missouri at the Orange Bowl Classic. That'll be good. Oklahoma State's mm-hmm. good. It's a good kind of prelude little to Big next 12 season. preview there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Playing in the tournament in the Bahamas. So uh, the Evansville, Evansville game is a return game. Remember last year, UCF played at Evansville. Yeah. Which sets up a busy Thanksgiving week. That is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. They host Evansville the same night volleyball is hosting Tulane. Good luck. Good luck to all the management people in the facilities that all got to figure all that out. Officially, the Evansville game is listed as TBA for start Uh, time. Yeah, they're going to be at seven. (laughs) They're going to be at seven. (laughs) Unless they want to play at nine, like some people thought was a good idea last season for a game. Well, that's totally out. That's no, well, no, no. ESPN <laughs> makes that decision. That's not a UCF decision. In fairness, that is not a school decision. But uh, real quick on the Thanksgiving schedule. So you yeah. have Evansville on the 23rd, Thanksgiving on the 24th, UCF USF football at some point on Friday or Saturday, and then UCF Miami basketball on that Sunday. Plus, Yo, plus by the way, Eric, UCF volleyball Wednesday, November 23rd against Tulane the day before Thanksgiving. Yeah. And they play Houston at home Correct. the day after Thanksgiving. That Correct. match could determine the American Athletic Conference championship. Could be McKenna Melville's last home game of her career as well. Right. So that will be historic. So it's a busy week. Busy week. And I know Kyle's not happy about that Miami date because I looked at your schedule cuts. I thought of you, Kyle, because I care about you. You're a friend. We've long known each other. I care about your interests. So well, the first thing I did when I saw the basketball schedule was like, let me look at the Jaguar home schedule and see how this affects Kyle. Yeah, right. The Jags are home that day against the Ravens. Hey, I'll see that and raise you this part. The management department here at the Nash household has already made it where I can't make any of this. I'm going to be fucking oh, no! family. So yet another reason I have to hold over somebody's head of why on earth are we traveling now? But. It is what it is. Yeah, no, I, I look at it this way. It'll be a good opportunity for our good friend Bryson to get his teeth cut here during now. <laughs> hey. Um I'll be at those I'll be at those games too, by the way. Let's not forget. I'll fill Let's, in for you, Kyle. I'll take I'll take one for the team. I'll help you out and cover the Miami game. Uh, yeah, Bryson. I actually have a bit of a counterpoint to this because I, I know we were talking about how it's a favorable schedule. There's only one true road game in this entire thing, which from a perspective of, you know, getting fans and seats to see this new team is great. 
but I don't know if this is going to end up biting the this team in the butt later because playing on the road is something that a team does need to kind of get used to, I guess, in a way, because last year the Knights were four and eight on the road. They weren't a very good road team. And so they're going to have to play on the road in conference play. And they're really not going to be get a chance to play in a host in a hostile environment at all, except for that Ole Miss game. So I, I just am wondering if this is a little bit of a monkey's, uh, I, I think it's a monkey's paw type thing where sure you will have that benefit of the home schedule with the fans and all that, but you won't really have the road experience with this new group of players that are coming together to, uh, that you'll, that I feel like you need to have later on in the season for conference play, because you have to have those home and away games for them. Nobody that's, wins. That's nobody, valid- nobody. Yeah, but nobody wins road games in college basketball except the elite team. Like, <laughs> oh, no, I was going to say, I, I think it's no. I, I think Bryson brings up a valid point, and I, I mean, I think if Coach Dawkins were here, he would be like, "Look, I had to make a choice, and if my choice is going to be with a whole bunch of new guys, I, I want to. If it's easier for me to sort of build that chemistry in the in the preseason, as they like to call it, um, by playing a bunch of home games, then 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 I'm okay with that." Yeah, yeah, that's where I'm I think at, that he'll too. live with that. That's where yeah. I'm at, too, Jeff. Like, uh, for me, I'll, I'll go my cousin Vinny on this with Bryson. Listen, that's a very lucid, intelligent, well-thought-out objection overruled. I think you're forgetting <laughs> how far back a step this group's taken with that roster, how much they've yeah. lost. The fact that you have a sophomore that's basically going to be the foundation of this squad. If this team were closer to what they were last year, I'd be 100% in agreement with you. But I think they've taken too far a step back for that to be the biggest concern uh, with, you know, uh, uh, thinking of road play and preparing for that. I think we're at a far more fundamental level right now, getting Darius Johnson and company uh, in sync and it's going to leak into the season. I don't think this is something they'll necessarily necessarily be able to handle over a summer. So with that in mind, that's why I'm cool with it. Now next year, if they have the same sort of schedule, Bryson, I'm hundred percent with you. Well, I got you. I got news for you. I think we're going to see more of this in the, because, and Jeff brought up a great point. Good comparison. Jim Bayheim, mm-hmm. you're going to the big 12, man. it'll be pretty man they're they're pretty they know how to play some basketball over there i think this is your formula moving forward in non-conference build some confidence get some wins because the big 12 is gonna be brutal rough and i i actually y'all thought it was gonna be rough for men's basketball in the big 12 is gonna be absolutely right a grinder oh my god I think it's she's going to take a page similar to what Jim Beheim. Although Beheim goes a little too far with you know scheduling the Binghamtons of the world, but I think <laughs> Beheim, Jeff, you obviously went there, so you can speak to this. Part of the play, part of the reason is Jim Beheim in his back of his mind's like, I know I'm going to get my schedule strength and quality wins by either at the time playing in the Big East or currently in the ACC. Right. I don't have to play. You know, strong enough, let me get some wins. Let me get my guys used to playing that zone defense. Exactly. Build that camp. And I think that's what Johnny's thinking, not just this year with the young roster, but looking ahead when you're going to play in the Big 12. You don't – Johnny doesn't have to schedule up anymore in non-conference. Not saying that he won't. I'm not saying he won't because he's going to play Miami and FSU. But I'm telling you, the Big 12 – is no joke. And, 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 you know, when you talk about this, like also, you know, whenever they would play somebody who was, you know, who is, you know, a top 25 team, you know, in the non-conference, guess where it would be? 
Madison Square Garden. Neutral, right? Neutral court, neutral which court, is a big thing right. in basketball as well. Neutral courts, dominant. That's why the road thing doesn't bother me because nobody, a lot of teams don't play road games in non-conference anymore. They play mm-hmm. neutrals, and like I said, with officiating the way it is in college basketball, the home teams win like ninety percent of the time. Your goal is to steal road games. And by the way, la- really last, oh yeah, it's ridiculous. Last year's road team, by the way, played a bunch of road games before the conference didn't help them one bit. So, one final point too, I'd add. One can't help but wonder uh, how much Johnny's feeling the heat on his seat at the position, as much as people are complaining about. Uh, who knows how much of a factor that really is or isn't? But I think it's worth mentioning. I, I don't know if it's that as much no, as yeah, I need to no. get. I need to get some confident wins, and 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 you know, build on that. And again, moving forward, I don't think people really understand what we're getting in ourselves into in the Big 12. We're going like we're going into an octagon next year. Like it's you can go <laughs> that's, like that's a good analogy, actually. Seriously, you could go <laughs> six like they could go six and twelve next year in the Big 12. That's a success. Like that's a like this is the strongest conference in college basketball, with all due respect to the Big Ten. It's, make- it's the strongest conference in college basketball. It could be argued right now. Yeah, it is. Number one <laughs> RPI. Like, there's no weak teams there at all. Like, yeah. it's, it's only uh, getting better with, you know, Houston and Cincinnati joining joining the fray. I mean, so, those programs are great right. at basketball, obviously. BYU has, uh, you know, it, you never know what you're going to get from BYU year in but and year out. But they've been a good – they're not a joke. They've been good they're... in the past, right. I mean, this – you know, yeah. and, then, and then there's us. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, that's Johnny. Yeah. You know, so I, I think this is a smart strategy for Johnny because you've got to get some wins. And then in yeah. college basketball, if you can build up a good win loss record in the non-conference and in the, when you're in the big 12, go seven and 10, you know, win seven, eight conference games, that's going to get you to the NCAA tournament. That right. won't work in the American, but it will in the big 12. All right. So and we await what the conference schedule, uh, will look like. So also what the women's basketball non-conference schedule We'll look like hopefully we'll get that in the next Kyle real uh, quick one one more answer Darren Green's return cheers booze mix 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 okay. yeah yeah uh real quick women's soccer we got to talk about this real quick you know last week obviously they started off the athletic season with that big three nothing victory over the Florida Gators um which uh resulted in one of the greatest photographs uh maybe in black and gold banner at history with after Kristen Scott's goal courtesy of Noah Goldberg wow Awesome job on that. Um, and then UCF goes up to Baton Rouge uh, and pulls out a 1-1 draw with LSU. Now, the Knights had a one nothing lead in the first half. They conceded a goal uh, seconds after uh, starting the second half, but uh, had a couple of opportunities there. Just couldn't get them to – couldn't get anything to finish up. But I will take, guys – and particular, Bryce, I want to go with you. I will take this 1-1 result on the road against an SEC team that's supposed to be pretty good. And apparently the uh, the uh, United Soccer Coaches uh, poll voters thought the same thing because they bumped UCF up from not ranked to 23rd in the country as a result of that. Um, SMU, by the way, in the American is at 15, and if I'm not mistaken, that's the highest AAC team. Yeah, they're the highest highest ranked team in the American in the United Soccer Coaches poll. But uh, but yeah, I mean, good way to start out the uh, start of the season, Bryson. Um, and uh, you know, one zero and one as you begin uh, as you continue play. 
What a difference a year makes. I was curious about how the statistics of this match compared to last season's matchup with LSU, which UCF lost 2-0. And I found it really intriguing. So LSU ended up at last season, got 16 shots off. 10 of them were on goal. Caroline Delisle was absolutely peppered at the at the net. And the fact that she only let two passes kind of is, is amazing. This time around, LSU got 14 shots off with seven on goal. So there's a little bit of improvement on the defense. Now that now this is just a testament to how good LSU is that they were still able to get that many shots off. UCF side though, 10 shots, two of them were on goal last year. This time, 10 shots again, but this time five of them were on goal. So I think that a really huge thing that we saw this time around is that is that this shows that UCF's goal scoring and scoring chances have improved and it's not perfect. It was a one, one draw, you know, um, uh, and LSU managed to kind of catch them off guard at the very beginning of the second half. But Mm -hmm. the, the, but like, like we said, that's why Caroline Delisle is still a, as much as we talk about these new additions, which are important, Caroline Delisle is still a fundamental aspect of why this team is where it is. And the fact, and she managed to actually get on the Sports Center top ten at the number four spot. That's right. With a with a save that she had, where she, where um, if I had to describe it, she basically had to lead to to block to block a ball over the her right side of the goal. So absolutely well done on Delisle's part, and I think this really shows how this team has improved from last year and uh, hopefully I, we might see a little more draws because there's that new rule change now where the game will where soccer games will end after 90 minutes even if yep. it's a tie yeah especially in the non-conference yeah we talked about it in the preview right scoring chances you're absolutely right Bryson and uh, that back and, and of course the uh, the back in front of Caroline Delisle you know aside from that one lapse that they had which you know kind of cost them the three points um, you know, so far in this first uh, two games, they've been solid. Now, next up for UCF women's soccer, they face Utah Valley uh, at Utah Valley uh, on August uh, Thursday, August the 25th. So uh, if you're hearing this, make sure you keep an eye on that one. It's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. Don't laugh. Utah Valley picked second in the WAC this year in the preseason. Last year finished with an RPI of 75. They are the whack runners up from last year, so this is going to be a Eric. This is going to be a a, a good road test yeah. for them, possibly a little NCAA preview against well, the I, NCAA I, caliber team, possibly. I actually think this week's even more. I think we'll learn more about this team this week than we did last week because I mean, you know it's easy to get up for LSU, it's easy to get up for Florida and all that. You mentioned Utah Valley second in the whack. Florida Gulf Coast, who then they have to, they then they got to come back and host Florida Gulf Coast, a team yeah, that's on Sunday at one Sunday at one and, p.m. at home. They're a perennial A-Sun tournament uh, championship contender. They have got a great uh, forward, one of the best forwards in the country, and Louis Lilleback they're going to have to deal with. How does this team respond? Because what cost them the NCAA bid last year, dropping some games that, quite frankly, on paper they shouldn't have or they didn't take the team, you know, as serious, whatever, however you want to frame it. And I'm curious, the focus on this team is like, hey, let's not – you know, because remember, you're dealing with 18 to 22 year olds. You can tell them all you want about, hey, how good Utah Valley is, but do the players buy it? Mm-hmm. That's what I want to see in this match, and then the Florida Gulf Coast match to see if they take this, will do what they need to do, and take care of business. That's what it's an experienced team. 
So that's what I want to see from this week. Now, I have a little quick NFL note for you, Kyle and Jeff. Because, Jeff, you're a big NFL refs guy. Mm -hmm. You know the ins and outs of NFL officiating in the sport, as you do, Kyle. I want to give you this nut because I'm preparing. I'm filling in on women's soccer. Uh, Florida Gulf Coast has a midfielder that transferred from Drake by the name of Libby Helverson. H-E-L-V-E-R-S-O-N. Why am I bringing that up? Her father is Scott Helverson, who is an NFL. Oh, look at Kyle. He's smiling. He knows it. He's an NFL ref currently. Yep. I want your opinion. Good ref, bat. Uh, you guys, are, you're you're the two ref aficionados. Uh, I'll I'll start with this, and if I may, I've never heard of him before in my life, which means he's good. That's a great <laughs> point, Jeff. That's a great point. I mean, for my money, the bar is pretty low, and I'm going to go with Jeff. I know the name, but none of his uh, work comes to mind. Well, that's a good thing, then. That's a good thing. <laughs> go, mission accomplished. I mean, right, is, isn't that isn't that the whole object of the game? If you're an official, you know, if nobody knows who you are, if you don't do anything, you know, if if, right, if your name cool. is not known, you've accomplished what you've set out to do. <laughs> so. so there you go, Kyle. Right. If you want, there you go. If you want to meet an NFL referee, you might come out Sunday at the soccer stadium. Hey, maybe he'll talk to me about the Des Bryant catch. Anyways, <laughs> oh, oh man, oh. all right. Well, uh, UCF uh, women's yeah. soccer again at Utah Valley on ESPN Plus in Orem, Utah, August, Thursday, August 25th, 7 p.m., uh, and then home Sunday, 1 p.m., Florida Gulf Coast. Eric Lopez on the mic yeah, I'm on ESPN in. Plus. Filling in on Sunday. Filling in uh, for one Evan Weston. Is that correct, Eric? For, yeah, Evan's got Orlando City uh, soccer that night against Sean Johnson in New York City FC, who's in town. That night, what a day of soccer. Yeah. Little, 1 o'clock, UCF Florida Gulf Coast, and then Orlando City at night, a big matchup against New York City FC against Sean Johnson. Uh, and the defending MLS Cup champions, the New York City uh, FC there. So uh, that's why I will be uh, uh, just slightly a filling in. And no yeah. way, uh, that's Evan's chair, and I'll be working with Ryan Davis. So we'll not, to be, not to be outdone, of course, at the same time, Thursday, UCF men's soccer. We, talk, we heard from Scott Calabrese earlier in the show starts their season at number 15 wake forest that'll be on acc network uh they also play monday night 7 p.m against north florida that's are you ready for some monday night football monday night football that's right yes s football no foot uh, (laughs) no football austin david and ryan davis will be calling it not joe buck and troy aikman just for the record yep and uh and we move headlong into next week where we will have Football's home, football's opener against South Carolina State. Volleyball opening up their season against the Syracuse Orange and the Kansas State Wildcats. Um, this is it, guys. We are diving in. Are you inviting Jim Beheim to come down for that match? Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know if he'll oblige, but listen, the the invite's open. Or Paul Coach. Pasqualoni or Paul Coach Pasqualoni. P. Yeah, get, get Coach P down Coach- here. I, I mean, we we thought of it, Donovan McNabb. Donovan McNabb. Yeah, that I should be your role, Jim. I got you my I got my Donovan McNabb jersey hanging up right over there. You know my my orange number five alternate jersey. Now you're not going to wear orange all time. Now obviously what? you can't wear. You're not going to wear orange when you're doing. I am it. no, I no, no, okay. no, no, Just no. Check. Now, check. however, however, I will say, uh, I am doing PA for a couple of the neutral site matches in which Syracuse is playing. And I'm really looking forward to that. Oh. <laughs> and 
Yes. So <laughs> let me tell you. It's listen. I, I, I any Syracuse fans or Syracuse people? We got a few Syracuse people who are in the you audience. Jamie who have say, yeah, J- I listen. I'm going to do my best to bring the atmosphere of the Carrier Dome into the venue for Syracuse volleyball in those neutral site ma- matches. You However, pro- you probably know this. That, that's good. my there my go. debt has been serviced to the to Syracuse University. My heart go. and soul lives with the black and gold, and everybody knows that. Are we doing a are we doing a Jeff Sharon trophy? You know, like you know, like UCF West Virginia men's soccer or Big Twelve trophy. I say the winner of UCF Syracuse gets like I, I have some like I have some spare refrigerator water filters I got to get rid of here. So maybe right, we can sure turn one of work. these into a trophy. Sure. I don't know. All I can say is this: Okay, Oranger. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so, it's not the same. It's not the same. All right, but Jessica. Unlike Jamie Say, who Jamie Say, did you know this? Because I've spoken to her. She used to call Syracuse volleyball back in her Syracuse days. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. J- right. Jamie's a listen. Jamie Say's a legend. Okay, there's no, there's Jamie Say is a legend out there. She's done. Okay. She has. She has. If there's a sport Syracuse did, Jamie Say did it, and okay. she was great at it. So, um, it, uh, and I say, and I fully say this as the as the uh, reigning president of the Jamie Say fan club. So, um, can I get, can Jamie, I get come to the match. Huh? What? Can I get in the officer core of that fan club? I feel like I have a spot there too. <laughs> I, I will, I will allow it. Uh, right. Yeah. So, all right. So we got a big week coming up. Make sure you follow us at UCF banner at underscore SBN for all the latest on UCF news. We're also finishing up our football previews. We had our round tables going up this week. Uh, we're finishing up the uh, opponent previews as well, and we'll have full previews going into next week's game Thursday night against South Carolina State. Make sure you follow us individually. Drew is at Stat Boy Drew. I am at Jeff underscore Sharon. Bryson is at It's Bryson Turner. Eric is at Eric Lopez Elo. And Kyle is at The SOTG for The Student of the Game. And, Jeff, don't forget, all the stuff we've been mentioning about press conference and clips here through the show, especially for football, I can account for that personally. You can find all that on Twitter, on the Instagram page, on the uh, YouTube channel. All of that. Follow, subscribe, do all that happy stuff. You don't have to take my word for it that Coach said it. You can prove it there. Mm-hmm. Make sure you follow us on those platforms, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. There too. YouTube dot com slash black gold banneret instagram black and gold banneret for all your latest things by the way thanks to derek and noah who've also been putting up their incredible photography on our instagram page those guys are absolute aces make sure you follow them as well underscore ds warden the noah goldberg on twitter as well for all your latest uh for all of us here at black and gold banneret i'm jeff sharon saying thank you so much for listening leave us a review if you don't already subscribed to us please do subscribe to us as well on apple and android wherever you get your podcast we appreciate you guys so much for all you do for us and that's why we do this for you for all of us here at black and gold banner i'm jeff sharon saying thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next week go nice charge on 